All right, everyone, welcome to Through the Veil, episode number 36. I'm your host, Alex Nelson, and today's episode is with my friend, Kyle Nelson. No relation, of course, but he is someone who has run a bunch of successful businesses, but also has gone through some really deep, sort of dark trauma in his life. And he came to me through a mutual friend looking to sit in a mushroom ceremony to work through some of the things that he was experiencing. So in this episode, we dive into his story, how he sort of acquired the trauma, as well as the effect that the ceremony actually had on him, both you know how he was feeling leading up to it and how it landed for him afterwards. So this is a super, super interesting episode, to me at least, and I hope you find it equally interesting. As always, you can find me on Instagram, at Alexander Diesel. I've been putting out a bunch of content there, and you can find me on my website, www.throughtheveil.co. You can also find Kyle on Instagram, at thiscontrarianlife. It's got some underscores in there. All of those infos will be in the show notes, the description. So without any further ado, I hope you enjoy this beautiful episode, and I'll catch you on the other side. So Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Uh, if you can give everyone a little uh, intro of who you are and kind of what you do, and then we'll jump in from there. Sure, sure. Uh, my name is Kyle Nelson. Uh, currently live in the great state of Texas, and uh, am uh, I guess an entrepreneur uh, and recovering healthcare executive. Uh, I have ownership of multiple different companies in many different states. Uh, and uh, one of them, uh, the big one that I have is located in Abilene, Texas, where I spend the majority of my time. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a funny synchronicity that we kind of ended up meeting through a mutual friend, Chad, and uh, getting to know each other a little bit. And just the many pieces of this you know for the audience a we share a last name which is funny we share a home state which is also funny yes <laughs> and just how we ran across across each other's paths still cracks me up a little bit um and completely unrelated that that we know of i guess right um, we didn't we haven't dove down into that but who knows it'd be it must be very removed if it is no familial <laughs> but nelson is also not too uh, uncommon of a last name true so true. so i'd love to hear and start with you have such a powerful story and it's one of the reasons i wanted to get you on the podcast so wherever feels natural to you um to start with a little bit of your story we could start with childhood or we could start with some of the first like big traumatic incidents whatever feels like it'll be the most instructive to begin with, and then we'll kind of weave our way from there. Sure. Uh, well, I, I guess I'll start with uh, January 2020. So right before COVID hit, um, I was traveling uh, across the United States um, to Arizona and uh, had a, I guess, once in a lifetime, hopefully, uh, event that transpired with me uh, having to, I guess I'll call it a blessing and a curse, where it was 
one of the strangest things that I have ever experienced in my life, but it led me on a path of life-changing things that I wanted to or needed to address. Uh, some of it I didn't know about, some of it uh, I needed to and just was refusing to do so. Uh, but on January 21st of 2020, I stopped at a gas station in a small remote town in Texas, um, population roughly 50 people, and uh, pulled into the gas station and came across two 18-year-old boys uh, attempting to rob the place, first and foremost, and then they were attempting to kill the employee at the gas station. Um, ended up saving that employee's life. Uh, and as I have told this story to multiple people now, I, I think I saved four people that day. Uh, one, obviously the employee, uh, two, the two 18 year old boys did not murder that person, although they were in the process of stabbing the person in the chest, attempting to cut his head off while he was fighting back. And last, but certainly not least, I, it, it set me on a path to address some things that happened to me in the past where I, I may just end up saving my own life and putting me on a better path to total wellness. Mm. Uh, and that goes back to recalling stuff that has happened throughout my childhood and throughout my life that I am now finally being forward enough to, to address. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a blessing and that's kind of how you and I came to be connected. Um, I reached out to someone who I had known uh, experience some of this stuff in in their life path, and and he directed me to you. So that's that's how we got here today. Yeah, yeah, and I'd love to zoom in a little bit on that experience because it's such a a crazy thing to come across. And I think many people who haven't had sort of high stress, high trauma situations like that may have trouble just understanding the intensity of a situation like that. So, you know, what's kind of running through? your mind and body and if any of this is like hey mm, <laughs> let me know um but what's kind of running through your mind and body as you sort of walk into this going on are you just like in shock is it immediate action with no thought is it like what the fuck <laughs> a combination of all of the above yeah, yeah it is all of the above and then some um the the, the when you read stories about things that happen like this um, it, all of it's true and then some, it becomes this laser focused event where outside things that you normally take it, you know, for granted of it was raining that day. I, I didn't know that anymore. It just became so finitely focused on what was transpiring in front of you. Um, the initial emotion was this, you, you do the, the double take and go, this isn't right. This is, you know, obviously, you know, it's not right, but mm -hmm you're in a moment of disbelief that it's actually transpiring in front of you. You know, we become so desensitized to it uh, on a pretty large scale, whether it be through watching shows like Law and Order or, you know, stuff like that, or seeing movies, you know, I, uh, you know, and not to, to besmirch any form of entertainment, that they all have valid forms in their art, but like a Saving Private Ryan or a movie 1917, where you see dramatic events where people are passing away by getting stabbed to death. It's, it's not the same um, the way Hollywood predicts it or, sh you know, shows it to you. Mm. I, 
it, it's something that I never want to see again. I, I now know the defined meaning between fighting and violence, and there is a huge difference. I am a big fight fan. I, I enjoy boxing. I enjoy the UFC. Um, that's, that's a lot different than seeing something transpire at a gas station where you know that there's the potential of loss of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, and, and I've, I've been working with a psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Amy White out of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, she is phenomenal. Um, I feel blessed to, to be under her care still to this day. Mm. Um, she, she sees a lot of police officers, firefighters, and, and, and is specializing in that for PTSD. And, and so I got in there um, and feel grateful that I am. But, you know, we've, we've had some conversations about something that, you know, we've affectionately called the 1% gene, where there are people that just won't get involved in that kind of stuff. And I, mm. I don't necessarily blame them. Mm. Um, you know, I did what I needed to do in that moment. Uh, and I feel good that this gentleman is living the rest of his life, uh, walking this earth. Um, but I wouldn't hold it against somebody if they wanted to walk away from it. Um, because there are things that you saw in that moment where you see him, uh, after the effects of it and having cuts down to his bones, defensive wounds in his hands as he's pushing back, um, it's, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I have seen working in healthcare for years um, or heard about and seen images of, it's, it, it doesn't hold a candle to what I saw that day. And it's something that I, I hope to never see again, but I would like to think if it did, I would do the same thing. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, the 1% gene, and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this and maybe the answer is I don't know. But I think in my life, what I've come across in my general opinion has been some people are born with that inherently. And what most people do is they build themselves into that type of person, the type of person who takes action when something wild is going on. And it's not just an on off switch. So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. And if you think that you looking back at different points in your life, you can see moments where you were predisposed towards action. Or if it was really just like a light switch came on in that moment, you're like, okay, I woke up the sleeper cell within me. And here we are. <laughs> Let's go. I, 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 I think both of them are, are 100% accurate. Um, I think there are a lot of people that are born with that. And I think those people uh, at a, a very early age, uh, they, they will tell you, hey, I want to be a police officer. I want to be a firefighter. I want to go into the military. And I, for one, never had that idea or thought go through my head. Um, and all, all the respect in the world to those people that go into that, that area of their, you know, of career-wise, I, I just don't think I could do it. Uh, but those people, I think, are innately born with that gene. And it's just through additional training, they fine tune that skill set, and they are able to execute whenever they are called upon. Um, and then there are some people that, uh, through life events, uh, end up fine tuning that skill, because I think some of that's in all of us, but not, not to the point that a police officer, firefighter, uh, first responder, a military person is. Um, and I think I fall into the latter category of someone that through life experience has that skill, I guess, trained in them. 
Um, I've had some other life events as a child uh, throughout my adult life where it's just, okay, now you got to go and do this. Mm. Um, I was, I was almost abducted uh, walking home from school at the age of 13. Mm. And you have immediate reaction to that um, because it falls under the fight or flight skill set. Mm. And there were ramifications from that event, uh, but uh, both good and bad. Uh, you know, uh, you could potentially argue, as my as Dr. White would would say, hmm. I may have had PTSD since that event at the age of thirteen. Um, I, I've had cancer as a teenager. Uh, I stopped a mugging in in our home state, hometown of Minneapolis, at the age of twenty, uh, and you know, I and it manifested itself to a point where. I just felt at times somewhat invincible or that take charge moment comes through. Um, at the age of 30, my dad needed a kidney and I sat down with my brother and sister and I said, don't worry about it, I got this. Hmm. And not that I knew that I was going to be a perfect match, but I ended up being a, a technical perfect match to my dad. And that all of that traumatic events that transpired beforehand mentally prepared me to be in that moment so that I could just, yep, I'm going to do this. Everything's going to be good and throw me on a table, take out my kidney and let's move on. Mm. Uh, but I will say that I wasn't, I was putting up that hero defense system that eventually came all to a head at a gas station and, and afterwards. So, mm. you know, we don't always prepare for everything in life. And, and sometimes you just got to address it when it happens. And I'm doing it right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's so wild to hear about all the things you've gone through. And of course, we'll, we'll zoom into a few of those in a few moments. I think one thought that comes to me when I look at my own life and various different moments where I've been called forward to action, even, you know, it's very different, but in a way it's similar. I'm thinking of my first ever mushroom journey that I did for myself, where I went deep. And there was a certain level of courage needed, but I almost wouldn't define what I had at that point as courage because I felt like I had not a lot to lose. And so oh, I wasn't sure. feeling some energy of, well, what if this goes wrong? What if, what if, what if? Because I was yeah. like, well, let's try this. And so what I've noticed in a few other people I've spoken to as well, who have jumped forward in very serious circumstances is oftentimes there's a little bit of that piece of like, they're not, how could you put it? They're not running the full equation of the weight of the rest of their life. As some people might be, someone else may start going, what about my kids? If I get involved in this, what will happen? What will dot, 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 dot. Um, and I've noticed that again in my own life in various different moments where I've been in a little bit darker energy where it doesn't run that equation. So I'm curious your thoughts of if you felt that played a role in terms of that leaping forward that you weren't, because of all these things that previous happened to you, you were, I don't know if numbed is quite the right word, but you were, you were somewhat in an energy where it wasn't, your brain wasn't running the equation the same way that someone else's might've. I, I think it's both. Um, I think that there's the, in the moment, you don't have a, a lot of time to process, 
where you know there's the, the you run through all of the variables of you know, am I going to make this out alive? Am I going to execute appropriately? Am I going to be able to do what I need to do? All of that future stuff. It, it uh, there was a fleeting moment in time where I, I said, "Am I going to be able to see my kids again?" Mm. But I would say it was probably one tenth of one second. Mm. Um, uh, and then it was you. You act uh, there. So yeah, you're not necessarily acting rational because I would submit to you that the human brain is, is always on the defense to begin with. Mm. It, it is always meant to protect you, to keep your heart beating, your lungs, taking air in, um, blood pumping through your system your, and, and just generally functioning. So its sole purpose or its number one objective is to keep you alive. So when we talk about you know, stopping a murder at a gas station or doing something that isn't that violent, or let's just say bungee jumping, for example. Mm. And I've never done it because my brain sits there and goes, nah, you don't want to do that. That, you know, or skydiving. Why would you want to jump out of a perfectly moving in the air airplane? Right. And people do that from, from a recreational standpoint and they overcome that moment of, uh, this is not a safe thing, or it's not the natural thing to do to preserve life, which is what your brain is intended to do for you. Mm. It's to talk you out of that. So in those moments, yeah, you, you, there's that proverbial fictitious line in the sand. And some of us at a gas station in a perfectly good airplane run right past that line and the brain goes, okay, now I'm going to do the calculus to figure out how I'm going to preserve this moment mm. and move forward super interesting yeah it's almost the brain has a a maneuver that gets made where it it, it chooses an identity or a story that actually supersedes the basic biological identity that it would normally provide mm -hmm. so in the case of the skydiver they identify as risk taker person who does this and that supersedes their brain's yelling at them going what the fuck are you doing this is not a great way to continue your bloodline <laughs> well and it's and and you know and again i've not jumped out of a plane but i assume that the brain then kicks in and produces adrenaline different chemicals to push you into that moment so that if something goes further wrong because they've said they've already wait thrown up their hands and said well we've jumped now what do we do we have to survive the landing so they pump in some adrenaline to make sure that you process that and know when to pull the ripcord and go through all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, the brain is constantly working on preservation of your life and you figure it out from there. Yeah, I love, I'm just imagining our, the brain is in the head of that person going, this, this stupid asshole really did it. <laughs> okay, fine. It's like just throwing its hands up. Okay, we'll figure it out again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So beautiful. So circling back a little bit, um, this gas station incident was a bit of a wake up for you. Can you talk a little bit about what it was waking you up from and what it was waking you up to and sort of how that will get into the actual process of the uh, perhaps the healing journey a little bit later, but what was it that it was the critical point from? Sure. Um, it, so it, 
it, and I, I compare it to, there are deep recesses in your brain that you are able to hide or secure memories, events that are not that great. So you can suppress them. And I think you used earlier uh, that the brain can make a story up for you that allows you to process that event, that emotion, that story and move forward. Hmm. And I had done a lot of that with some of the aforementioned things. Like, you know, uh, after the gas station, I started to have some physical outward facing reactions that were not that dissimilar to what happened to me right after almost being abducted, going home from school. Hmm. After the abduction, uh, abduction attempt, I would crawl underneath windows that faced the street for months, for at least six months. Hmm. And you know that that's not right. That's not normal, the way that you would normally look at things. But it was the way that no one could see me. Otherwise, they were going to come get me. After the gas station, someone would come to the door and I would freeze. Mm. It started with me freezing and then leaning up against the wall because that was secure. Nothing was behind me. And it eventually led me to be hiding in closets for a period of time. I know that that's not normal. You and I know that when the doorbell rings, it's probably the, the, the somebody wanted to sell you uh, an additional car warranty. No, they call my cell phone and do that. Right. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but it may be the UPS guy. It may be the, the postal guy, the Amazon guy, whoever. And, mm -hmm. and that's a normal thing that we have in our lives now. But for me, it was the, I would freeze in the middle of the hallway and just sit there and go, okay. And I would look to find windows. And it was all of those prior events. And I, I have talked about this with other people and have said, I had this beautiful built box that I shoved everything like that in there, nailed it up, hermetically sealed it. And that gas station blew that box wide open. There was no more room in the box to put that gas station event in. And so all of those events came pouring out and it forced me to raise my hand and ask for help. And, you know, I, I for the most part, I'm a self-made person. I didn't have a mentor. I just, you know, head to the ground, let's get to work and let's, let's, let's do what we need to do to provide for your family, provide for yourself, do all of that stuff. And I eventually, again, this gas station thing is kind of a blessing that I had to raise my hand and say, I need help started out going through, uh, I think I went through two or three psychologists before I got to Dr. White. Some of them even raised their hands themselves and said, I'm ill-equipped to handle what you're going through, mm. which I certainly appreciate them doing so because I would, I don't know where I'd be if they didn't. Right. Um, I, I have a friend, uh, his name is Mike, and I, I owe a lot to him. His dad is deeply embedded in the psychology of PTSD as a former cop himself. Mm. He's written some books on the topic and got me in to see Dr. White, um, who typically wouldn't see a normal civilian. She's focused on police and fire, et cetera. So, it, you know, I feel fortunate in that regard, but it has certainly pressed me to look deep, deep, deep inwards to make sure that I, I am focusing on my wellness and total well-being, uh, which, you know, I'd like to think we all are to some extent, 
but I can confidently say now, based off of everything that happened since the gas station, I was certainly ignoring things, uh, whether it be my mental or emotional wellness. Mm. So do you feel like that box that prior to the gas station, you had shoved everything inside of, do you think, or can you notice now ways in which that box was sort of leaking toxic sludge? Or was it totally sealed? Like, was it truly gone completely after, you know, the six month period of crawling under windows or whatever, and it was sealed up? Or was there ways in which it was leaking into your day to day life? Yeah, if, if you would have asked me prior to the gas station, if we would, you and I as friends would have had this private conversation, and I, I confided in you about some of that stuff, and some of it I wouldn't hmm. prior to that. Uh, prior to the gas station, I wouldn't have talked about most of it. Um, I would, I could have talked a little bit about it, but sort of brushed it under. Mm. And I would have said I'm fine. Mm. Uh, but knowing what I know now, knowing how the gas station changed me, uh, absolutely, it was leaking. I mean, I, I thought I had put it away and that it was going to be a non-issue. But I can look back on almost everything that went on in my life and how it, it deeply affected me personally, professionally, in relationships with, you know, friends, family, my kids, Mm. Um, even in intimate relationships, uh, it affected me. And it was, I I look back on myself prior to, to you and I working together. Mm. And I can, I can tell you with a 100% confidence, I, I was a mess. Although, I mean, I put lipstick on that pig and it looked mm-hmm. nice, but it, it, it wasn't healthy. It wasn't right. right. It needed a lot of work. Hmm. And can you go like, I'd love to get specific on some of the ways that you saw that show up. Cause I think it's one of the most instructive thing to people who are sitting at home and listening and perhaps they've got a similar box or a box of some sort that sure. they've shoved away in their life. And they are probably in denial of some form that box is leaking i think it's really helpful to know like well here's some of the ways my box was leaking specifically yeah so for me it was <clears throat> very outwardly emotional uh on a couple different levels uh professionally i you know had this big idea that i was very successful and, and i was i was a, the ceo of a, a few multi-million dollar companies mm-hmm. uh and you know, my success speaks for itself. I was very successful in those regards, but there were times that I would get very defensive, argumentative, mm-hmm. and it, it certainly affected um, the, the way that I spoke to people, the way that I uh, acknowledged uh, just intercommunicative relationships with people. It was, there was this big fight or flight kind of atmosphere that was always swirling around me. Mm. And that fight or flight thing uh, in a different way positioned itself in my personal life. Um, The the one thing that I I will never get back and it's something that I will always have to work through in my own mind is the relationship with my kids Mm. is I had this, you know, well, I, you know, I've got to be this guy. Mm. And I withdrew from my kids in the way that most people wouldn't in a parental relationship Mm. Um, for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I was, I was fearful of how that fight or flight atmosphere would project onto them. I didn't want them to see that. Um, 
And that was all in my mind and I wasn't acknowledging it, which goes back to a prior conversation that we had is uh, it, it, this, this was affecting across the board in my life. And, you know, it, it affected uh, the relationship with my wife. It affected relationships with friends. I, I would find myself when things felt overwhelming, my fuse was pretty short and it, it, it didn't take much to set it off regardless of what it was or who it was, if you caught me at the wrong moment, it was, it never acted out violently, but it was very aggressive emotionally. And then I would have this interceded doubt come into me going, what the hell are you doing? Mm. And then it was this yo-yo of, okay, I'm going to explode. And then boom, I'm in the trough and it was awful. And I would stew about it for days on end. And that, that's not healthy at all. That's not a normal way to respond or walk through the path of life. So yeah, it, it was just difficult across the board. And it was, I just thought that was just me. I thought there was something right. innately wrong. I didn't draw it back to other things that transpired in my life that, that really harmed me in a deep, deep way. Hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of, and this is something, a thought that's just becoming clear to me right now. But as we go through trauma in our lives, you know, from an internal family systems, psychology perspective, we have these protectors we build up and the protectors are managing or guarding the story that we need to be true to feel safe. And yeah. so whenever something at work, you know, you constructed this beautiful box of successful businesses, mm -hmm. kids, relationship, friends, and when something would come along that would challenge that in some way, there'd be an outsized reaction because they weren't challenging you per se, they were challenging this entire safety apparatus you had created around yourself to feel like it was okay to proceed. And so for anyone listening, that safety apparatus could look like anger. It could also look like drug abuse, this is a way that people try to achieve a very consistent mental state. It could look like depression. It could look like a lot of different things, but we, our, our ego essentially clings to these stories because when anything challenges those stories, we're fearful that that Pandora's box will be open. And so your story, it's like you were just going along and you were managing those things, but then something so big happened that there was no way for your ego to manage the story of it. It was just like, okay, fuck the box is open. Like he, this yeah. is where we're at. Yeah. I, that's that, what you just said is hundred percent correct. Um, I, I had this defense mechanism in place that would act outwardly, you know, and people looked at me as saying, oh, you're really successful professionally. You've got this the wife and three kids and it's just great. You're going to do wonderful things. And, and, you know, people are like, oh, wow, how do you do it? In the back of my mind, I was sitting there going, I'm holding this together just by a thread. Mm. And if you, and if you, if you become a threat to me, I'm going to do something about it. Mm. And, and that again was that whole fight or flight thing. I, it's looking back on it, the, the, the blessing that was that gas station. And I describe it as an 800 pound monster that just walked into my head took that box and just said, nope, not for you anymore. Hmm. And just ripped it apart. And, you know, I, I hate that it happened. I hate that I was at that gas station. Hmm. I'm glad that 
the the employee is alive, but I'm also glad that it actually happened because I I am very grateful and thankful for what the future holds for me going forward because I look back on it not with regret in how my life has been up to this point. I look at it as a huge, massive opportunity to turn this thing around and, and live a better life for myself and for people around me. And so I'm super excited about it. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the healing journey. And I want to be one thing I really try to focus on a lot, both with this podcast and as I speak to people is that the healing journey is never any one piece. So even though sometimes we have leaps and bounds forwards, I really want you know, walk me through the process, but pay it, like, give me all the details of like, so then this therapist, and then we did this modality, and then this, and then this before we even get to you and me working together, because I really (laughs) view those as like, critical precursors. And I expressed this to you when we started to work together, I was like, oh, you're someone that's coming to be fucking ready. This is amazing. Like, this (laughs) never happens. Well, happens sometimes but in that sense of like oh you've already engaged with a bunch of these modalities fuck yes so walk me through some of that process yeah so um i'll start a little well before even the gas station happened Mm -hmm. uh i i would have these depressive moments where there were points in time where i would just get low and you know i'd I'd go to the you know your internal medicine doc or your general practitioner and go I'm just down. I just feel depressed. And I, I have been on antidepressants and uh, none of it really worked. Uh, I, I would either feel absolutely flat and disassociated or it just wouldn't change anything at all. Hmm. So I've been on multiple different versions of, of antidepressants, multiple different brands, none to be named because I don't want to get sued if somebody takes offense to, to any of this. Um, but yeah, I, I, as since the early two thousands, I have been on some, uh, in any, in some way, shape or form, I have not in years and just, I was managing the box. Mm. And so everything was fine. Um, then the gas station happened and started hiding in closets, freezing when people would come to the door, I would get startled when someone would come around the corner at the grocery store. And you want to talk about humiliation. I mean, dropping to a knee when somebody, when a 60 year old plus woman comes around pushing a a grocery cart and she's like, did you slip and fall? I'm like, nope, I'm good. I just, you know, just taking a knee. We're all good. And it's terribly embarrassing. And then you beat yourself up internally and, you know, eventually started uh, just doing talk therapy uh, with a doctor in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, she, she, I don't think she completely understood the depth of what was going on. I laid out some of the historical stuff to her and she, I think was trying to figure out how to piece it all together and didn't quite work out. She referred me to somebody else who was her mentor, an an older psych in against Scottsdale, who was a couple blocks, a couple miles away. And she kind of was getting on board with what was going on. Um, But then we got to the description of what transpired at the gas station. And she, she threw up her hands and she's like, "Uh, this is deeper than, than I, I have an expertise in. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I need you to stop 
right now. She goes, because if you keep talking, she goes, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole we're going to go. Because uh, she was starting to put together the historical stuff coming in and then the, the current stuff that was transpiring. So she put me in time out for a little bit for a couple of weeks while she's like, I'm going to go ask some colleagues of what, what is available. And I, I told her flat out, I'm not doing the antidepressant route. I said, there, there has to be something else because this is bigger than just antidepressant. And we can talk my political stance on that whole thing if you would like, and I'm more than happy to. And again, I'll leave names out so I don't want to get sued. But uh, yeah, so she said, in the interim, go, go hiking, go walking, go do anything possible to just get away from that enclosed environment. So I started hiking um, around North Phoenix, uh, which became even worse. The, 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 the pathology behind the PTSD became worse and worse because the box was wide open. Right. I was walking without earphones in birds, lizards would like get scared by me walking by and I would get startled, go down to a knee by, by nature. Hmm. Is, and it, be, it just became manifesting itself worse and worse and worse. So then I put headphones in, which then made it worse hmm. because then I would optically see a bird fly by and I would just jump into a bush, mm -hmm. um, people walking their dogs. I would literally not make eye contact, look to the ground and just be scared that I would have to interact with a human being. Mm -hmm. So it was just spiraling out of control. Um, eventually uh, through, I did some research, the, the psych in Scottsdale did some research and it was one of her students, which ended up being Dr. White. And then through my friend, Mike, he, his dad referenced Dr. White. So all things came together in this mm. beautiful moment. So I started to engage her at the end of May. So this is about four months after the, the gas station event. Mm. And in early June, we, we just started to talk through th some things. And she's like, I'm going to start you on EMDR, mm. which is a weird therapy in and of itself. Uh, if you've had some trauma, I, I think it's a highly effective form of therapy uh, and it definitely helped. But she warned me. I mean, she flat out told me and she almost called it to the day. She goes, at the end of October, early November, I'm going to drag you to the worst, most bottom place you will ever be in your entire life. And to her credit, she gives out her personal contact information and says, call me anytime. But just know around this date, you're going to hit a moment where you're not going to be in, in a good place. And leading up to that, you know, doing EMDR is a, is a pretty weird, bizarre thing. And, and we talk about how our minds are just brilliant computers. It, and, and for the listener, EMDR therapy is, you know, some rapid eye movement therapy where your brain snaps into traumatic events in, in your, in your life. And it started with some childhood stuff. And then we were building up to the gas station and this was happening throughout the entire summer into September. Um, I had some personal things that were making it worse. I started to withdraw even more. Um, and you kind of figure out who some of your friends are in life um, who are there for you. And, you know, I, I had some personal relationships where I thought, gosh, I have these, these, this tight, really great relationship with people. And I started to go towards those people to, to ask for 
help and, and some grace to say, hey, I'm going through a dark period. And, and I had one person really make, some, make me feel even worse, hmm. which, you know, and, and, and I, I ended up sort of wanting to run to that person and say, what's going on? Why am, why am I in this position? And it, it started to manifest itself even further and further down the rabbit hole. And it all, it all came to a head um, the first week of November where uh, I, I made an attempt on my life. Uh, and, and I, I made the critical error and, and, you know, we've talked about, uh, the, the, the life, uh, preservation of life in your own mind. Mm. Uh, I, I, that left me, uh, in the, in those couple weeks mm. where I, I didn't feel worthy of, of being on this earth. And it was, uh, you know, I, I didn't feel worthy enough to pick up the phone call, even though Dr. White said, you're going to get to a low, low, low point and you're going to, you're going to need to make, make a phone call. Hmm. And I did um, just because I didn't think it was worth it. And, you know, in that moment, unlike the gas station where, you know, for a fleeting moment, I thought about my kids it, when I was about to take, make an attempt on my life, I didn't think about anything. I didn't think about anybody. I just thought it was worthless. Mm. I, I didn't think I was worth anything. And so, um, yeah, it was a dark Friday night in early November and um, didn't sleep much at all. Uh, woke up the next day and I will say for the, that next day was rough, not as bad as the night before. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, you know, I, I, did reach out to Dr. White the next, uh, the following Monday. Um, she ripped me a new one. Um, uh, and, and I, I love her to death for it. Uh, because she, she's like, I, I, I told you you were going to get down deep. She says, I didn't know you were going to go that deep, but she lit me up. And, and, you know, sometimes you need that tough love yeah. from people that care about you and, 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 and means that, that, that you mean something to them. Hmm. Uh, and it was kind of through that tough love that I started to proactively reach out to people that I had kind of shunned because I was trying to find why this these few people didn't really care and, and, mm. and did some negative things to me. Uh, so, yeah, I, I reconnected with some people and I, I found out that I had a, a, a bigger support network than I actually thought. And, and again, this is not a perfect thing in between my ears, nor is it for anybody. Um, but again, like you said early on, the brain tells you a story that just to get you by in that moment, that day, that week, and mine wasn't functioning 100% accurately to say, hey, you, you have a bigger bench strength than what you're believing. Hmm. So it was from that that I said, okay, the only person, the only way you're going to get out of this is to embrace the darkness that you've gone through. Because most of us sit there and, and I, uh, for the longest time, and, and, you know, I love people that say, you know, I'm, 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 I just want to be happy all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fraudulent in my mind. For sure. We are, we, we have, we are human beings. We have faults. We do all of this stuff, pro con, good, bad, indifferent. And 
let's say you're having a bad day. You just got to sit in that bad day at times, sit in that emotion for 30, 60 minutes. Maybe it's a whole day. Maybe it's a week. Maybe you've had something in your life. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you lost a loved one and you just need to sit in that emotion. If you don't do that, you're going to end up in the same box that I shoved everything into. Mm -hmm. And so now that my box was destroyed and I tried to make an attempt on my life, I, I've embraced that darkness, that, that down period, if you will. And it's changed my life. I, I feel like I've been empowered to take my life back, to drive the narrative of my, my wellness and what I want going forward. And so it, it began with researching alternative methodologies encompassed with therapy with Dr. White, you know, working out, eating right, doing that kind of stuff. And I ended up stumbling upon alternative methods like psilocybin, LSD, uh, ketamine, and, you know, having only one kidney, I don't like to put chemicals into my system that much. Mm. Um, was never a big user of recreational drugs, probably the, the most Pollyannish person when it comes to that, that you've ever been associated with. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, so I ended up doing a ton of reading, ton of research on all of that and started to focus on psilocybin and applying to studies. And I'll, I'll, I'll come up for air and I'll, I'll let you interject, but I will say that some of the research studies out there are, are doing great work, but I think they're on its face, incredibly flawed in how they're helping or how slow they're getting to helping a larger audience. Absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's a, a super important journey, I think. And I want to reflect a couple points before we dive into the psilocybin piece of things. I think in the, in the, what I loved that Dr. White did, and I do this myself sometimes as I'm having people come to a ceremony with me when I can really feel into like, okay, there's some big stuff here. There has to be this understanding that if you think about all the repressed emotions as water behind a dam, when you first blow that dam up, man, that fucker is rushing and you are just awash and there's nothing you can do about it. You are just right there in the water. Yeah. And I love that she called that out ahead of time because it's so important, at least for the understanding of like, look, it's going to be a bitch. It's not going to yeah. be great. You're not going to love it. And then the understanding that eventually that will equalize into a river of your emotions as they're supposed to flow normally. Uh, and like you said, you know, life isn't this purely happy experience. I think the difference between a healed, mostly healed person and a less healed individual is just the, the amount of time that something knocks them out for. So if I get angry because someone cuts me off in traffic, I don't think I'm ever going to get to the point where I won't get a little pissed. Like maybe, who knows, but that's five seconds that I'm pissed. I'm like, oh, this dumb fucker. Okay, whatever. Maybe they're in a rush. That's fine. Yeah. But previously in my life, that could derail five days. Fucking people in general are bad people. Nobody thinks about anyone else. It's ironic because in that moment, I'm only thinking about myself and my experience, but you know, of course. <laughs> and so it is that 
that reflection of how long the downtime is where something is felt and then you feel it fully. That's a key step. You can't not feel it. You can't just go, no, I'm happy. I'm a happy person. You have to feel it. Otherwise yep. it doesn't move through you. Um, yeah. And then just moving on to the antidepressants, you know, it's an interesting thing. And I think they do have their very limited uses. I think there are certain sure. moments where they are, they can be helpful to someone who is, on that verge of suicide or to get someone through an acute suffering. Um, but I really wish they were looked at a little bit more holistically as like, okay, look, we're going to get you on antidepressants to get you from this week to three weeks from now. Great. And then here's the plan for getting off of them Yep. versus you're going to be on them forever. Uh, I think the data actually supports that model of usage. If I may interject, please. Absolutely. Having worked in healthcare, and this is, I've worked in healthcare over two decades, I, I think that that comment cannot be understated at all. Hmm. You know, and again, I am not disparaging any physician. They are doing the best that they possibly can, and they're human. Hmm. But what they're doing is seeing a patient every eight to 10 minutes. And in that eight to 10 minute window, if somebody comes in and says they're depressed, you can't put together a care plan that puts them on an antidepressant, which again, to your point, does work in, in some instances, and it does have a valid place in healthcare. But what is the plan to help that person process through that and get off of that? And the same thing can be said about, you know, the opioid epidemic in this country, you know, hey, I've got this, this painful thing, and I'm going to have it addressed through you know, opioids, I'm going to take narcotics and, and I'm going to get through it. Well, what's the plan to get off of it? And, and we have to start thinking about a total care plan instead of isolated instances saying, and, and let, let's be frank, isolated inc incidents work when you tear your ACL, you have to have surgery, you get it repaired. But even then they have a care plan of therapy to build the quad back up and get you back onto your feet and become functional again. And that's why athletes recover from that, Tommy John surgery, those kind of things. But when it comes to mental health and we put people on an antidepressant and what's the plan to get somebody off of that? Yeah. Because you have to embrace the fact that you are a human being and you're gonna go through those times in your life. And if you don't embrace those moments and, and deal with them, on many levels, because a care plan in, in mental health can be many different things. It can be talk therapy, it can be EMDR, it can be pharmaceuticals, it can be a psilocybin treatment. It can be all of those things included into one package, but you have to work with your team to get through it, which is why post-suicide attempt, I have put my own team together, right. which Alex is, is I, I would, Alex is part of that team. Um, uh, but yeah, to your point, there, uh, the indictment isn't on the physician themselves. It is potentially on the individual to say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to address this moment and I'm going to embrace where I'm at. I'm going to take the, the antidepressants, but what am I going to do to move forward? And I think where we become indictable as the patient is to say, well, I'm going to take this for the rest of my life and I'm going to be fine. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a really interesting study, and I won't get the exact numbers right, but they did a study on opioid addiction and 
Are you familiar with the ACEs score, the mm-hmm. adverse childhood experiences for those listening? Um, and basically an ACEs score is how many traumas you had, for lack of a better word, in childhood, early adulthood. And so they found that with people who are prescribed an opioid for a specific acute instance, like you broke a leg or whatever it was, um, the ACEs score, so how many adverse childhood experiences someone had, was like dead on for how likely they were to get addicted. And so if someone had no adverse childhood experiences, the opioids weren't actually that addictive for them. They would just yeah. take them for the time they needed to and they get off of them. So it is, again, to your point, this holistic perspective that needs to come forward, which is like, these things could be useful, but we have to understand, like, if you just get on antidepressants and you don't have any plan to deal with the trauma that caused you to need to be on the antidepressants in the first place, mm-hmm. nothing will get better. Maybe you'll be able to numb through the rest of your life, I guess, but that's painful too. That's not like suffering free. Um, Okay, so we're caught up to where we're at. So talk a little bit about, I want to hear first how microdosing felt and worked for you. Um, and then we'll dive in a little bit deeper to the to the actual deeper working. Yeah, so um, you, know, you and I got connected through Chad. And uh, I just want to take this moment to give a shout out to Chad. Um, uh, if you're out there listening, thank you so much. I I owe you a huge debt of gratitude for connecting me with Alex. Um, so, you know, you and I had a couple of private conversations about all of this uh, and what has transpired gas station, pre-gas station, leading up to the research that I had done. Um, and I, uh, I, I went pretty far down the rabbit hole of getting my hands on and reading anything I could possibly do. And, and you know, I, I have been turned down for research studies uh, for psilocybin. Uh, and the, the biggest reason that I have been given uh, to date is that it was, quote, too soon mm-hmm. since the trauma. Mm-hmm. And most of that is for two reasons. One, they want you to be on uh, the cornucopia of multiple antidepressants to show that it doesn't work. Uh, and or uh, they want it to be around three to five years of living with your PTSD. And I think that that is borderline criminal or malpractice in its nature, because having had, I guess, the gas station event, if you want to say that that's my ground zero of PTSD, I would argue that it was way before that, going through some childhood stuff. Um, I, I couldn't imagine what some of these folks that are coming out of uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, police officers, having PTSD events, and having to wait three to five years, I mean, you could lose your job, your family, your wife, maybe your life. And I think that's that's borderline malpractice for these research studies. That's my soapbox. Now, uh, going soapbox. back, <laughs> uh, going to the microdosing side, you and I talked and we agreed upon trying microdosing first. Mm. And I started that the middle of June uh, of this summer, uh, 2021. And, uh, the early part, again, I am almost as lily white as it gets when it comes to recreational drugs. And so I went into this very nervous, very apprehensive, not knowing I'd never done psilocybin before. 
uh, let alone anything close to that. So I was very concerned leading up to it. I did a lot of self-care when it came to journaling, when it came to, uh, I would do like video journaling, would sit at this chair and just do video talks to myself. Um, but when I, and, and my, my own self-prescribed methodology of doing it was, I took what you told me, when you wake up in the morning, take it first thing in the morning. Um, and from there, I would then go back to bed. I would blindfold myself. I would put noise canceling headphones in and I would listen to music that I could meditate to. So uh, the first time I did it, I, I think I meditated for a little over an hour. Um, subsequent doses, I was getting up to two plus hours of meditative time where I wasn't sleeping, but I was in a meditative space and, and I have used meditation before. Uh, so I have practiced it and pre and post gas station. So I have familiarized myself with that kind of modality. Uh, and I think it works and, and I would promote it for anyone PTSD or not. Uh, I would highly recommend. Absolutely. Uh, but going through the microdosing side, as I was finishing the therapy, I was getting into that deep meditative state, but I don't, I didn't feel like I was reaching the deep core issues that I was intending to deal with from whether it be PTSD or other things that transpired earlier in life. Yeah. Perfect. And then just from my end, I think because it's, it's instructive for people to understand like some of the things that I'm looking for as we're even first having conversations. Um, you know, as we start to talk about microdosing, I'm looking for stability in terms of your systems that you've set up in place. That was one of the things that very early on was a green light to me. It's like, okay, you've got these other things in place. So you are serious about your own healing because you will run into people who are not yet ready to be serious about their own healing for whatever reason. And that's each person's journey. Um, so that was one thing I saw very early on. And number two, the willingness to dive into microdosing first, because I think this is my theory. I am not attached to this for forever, but from everything I've seen and from what I believe about the human psyche, in the traumatized individual, we have to first build a bridge of safety with the medicine before we can dive right into a big honk and ceremony to feel okay enough, to feel comfortable enough to actually get any of that deeper work done. So the reason is twofold to start with microdosing. First and foremost, minimum effective dose. In the event that the microdosing had allowed you to work through your other shit and you were good to go, then fuck yeah, that's awesome. Like that's <laughs> the best case scenario. And that's such an easy hack for most people. Um, and then you escalate up. But then the second piece is like, it's getting you a chance to get familiarized with the medicine. A lot of us have our own internal prejudices about psychedelics, about different, you know, it's a drug. Um, so just getting you some time, you know, under the, uh, what would you call it? Like, in jujitsu, it'd be time on the mat, practicing, practicing rolling, getting yes. you some time on the mat with some substance so that you've got the experience of it and the prejudices start to fade away so that you're then prepared for that next step. 
Yeah. Beautiful. So yeah, good. I was, I was going to add, I, I think that's a hundred percent correct. Uh, I think if we would have gone full dose day one, I, I, I don't think it would have been nearly as effective um, without the, the microdose precursor because I had so much doubt, so much trepidation going into just the microdose first dose. I, I don't think I would have been open enough emotionally, mentally, psychologically to embrace a, a full experience. Absolutely. And if I recall correctly, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, as we, as we went through the microdosing protocol with you, a few of the early sessions were really impactful. They're very much like head above the water. Holy shit, I can breathe. Here we are. Um, yeah. and then as time progressed, it wasn't necessarily that, that went away completely, but it's just, there was no new progression. And so yeah. some of what microdosing also does that I think is really beautiful as a adjunct to a deeper ceremony type session is it provides an even better footing from which to launch. So if it gives you some time where you're feeling pretty good for a couple of weeks, your nervous system is coming in less stressed out to the ceremony. 100% agree. And, and the way I would describe it for myself was I had built this massive fortress wall of, of not letting anything break down what I thought was my normalized life. And I would, I would say the microdosing chipped away and softened that wall to allow me to go, oh, there is this, this could really help because uh, be honest, I had read all the research and saw all of the, the, the results that could happen. And I was like, well, that would be great if this would be useful for me. But again, your brain sits there and says, wait a minute, you've lived your life this way. Why would we want to mess that up? And so you start to have that inner dialogue with yourself. And I would say, even in the microdosing meditative moments and, and afterwards, I was able to turn my mindset into, well, gosh, this does feel better. This does feel different in a way that I would look at people who haven't gone through some of the stuff that I have and go, wow, I, I kind of think I feel like they do. And it kind of feels really good. What would happen if we just went all in on this and made a big leap? And so it broke down some of that nervous energy and open. And, and to your point, it did open me up to go, wow, uh, you know, I've read the research. I know what some of the results are. What would happen if it really did work? Mm, absolutely. Beautifully put. So let's, let's fast forward to ceremony as we <laughs> prepare to dive in. Now, I think, again, it's useful. Share what you're feeling leading into that as well as your experience as much as you want to um, just because it's helpful for people to know like it's you'll be a little anxious you might be a lot anxious like there's pieces leading into it too yeah so you know i i i, I did uh without a doubt have a level of nervousness anxiousness going into it because i had been through the microdosing stuff. I've meditated on it. I've meditated without it. Um, but I had never experienced anything like it before. And I think that that was more good than bad in the overall uh, ceremony itself. But 
you know, there's always the fear of the unknown. Um, you go into it and go, okay, I've had some chipping away at the fringes of some of this stuff through the microdosing, through EMDR, through some talk therapy stuff. What happens if there's a, a, a step forward? Because I don't think that there's ever going to be this aha moment where the clouds part and the beam of light comes down and goes, you know, your life has changed. Life is work. You, you have to work through this. And that's where, and I will admit, I'm, you know, we, I have both an X and a Y chromosome and you have a little machismo to you. And when you and I went out into nature and talked through some things and I wrote down some stuff and we built that little altar and released it into the water. And I was, there was a part of me in all honesty going, this is it. This is part of it. I can do this. Just because, you know, hey, I'm a guy, you know, let's, just, let, let's go, let's do this. Part of, I let women get away with not doing it sometimes, but with guys, <laughs> every time we're doing it. And in hindsight, it was 100% accurate. I should have done it because it, it chipped away at, you know, professional Kyle, who was, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to steam 100 miles forward hmm. and we're going to get, get some shit done. Well, it, it made me stop and go, okay open yourself up, embrace the idea and work through it. And you know, uh, for full disclosure to everybody out there, I had to write down on a sheet of paper, everything that I was hoping to accomplish or let go through this ceremony. And, you know, there was the standard, I, I want to get back to, to an open mindset, post gas station kind of stuff. And then I wrote some stuff on there that I probably, I won't mention on this just because it's stuff that is within me that I want to work on as an individual. And I think it's better that way that I keep that mm -hmm. for myself, but I don't think I would have felt open to address that had we not done that really uncomfortable. And it was, it's, it's not your normal thing where you sit there and you're like building an altar out of flowers and you're writing down your thoughts of what you want to release and you release it into the, into the wild, which, you know, I, I still look back on when I put that piece of paper in the water and a frog out of nowhere jumped on that piece of paper and mm -hmm. took it down to the bottom of the water. I was like, that's, I still look at that and go, that's the craziest thing that could have ever happened. And you know, I, I'm not a religious guy. I'm a spiritual person. It's one of the crazier things I've ever had happen to me. And I've been through some shit, but to have that happen in that moment, I, I will say, I was like, I just took a deep breath in. I'm like, okay, this is, I'm ready to go. Yeah. And it, it took away a lot of that, that emotion, the trepidation into that. So yeah, it was a weird event, but yeah, I had a frog jump on the piece of paper, take it to the bottom of the Creek and dang, it was awesome. Hmm. But yeah, so, you know, that whole process of that day, I think was perfect. It, it couldn't have gone better in any other way. Um, and it was necessary for me to slowly throughout the day lead up to and, and take away a lot of the anxiety and nervousness going into that. Because by the time I was ingesting the psilocybin, it was... I was ready and I was ready to go. If you would have shown up at 9 a.m. and asked me to do it, I, I, I probably would have been like hypersensitive and nervous. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, 
it's so funny because as that process has developed you know i think of it as a process of attunement and especially for someone who this was the first time we were meeting in person obviously we had had yeah. calls on zoom and stuff but two things are happening i'm attuning you to my nervous system so that your nervous system gets to know my nervous system and kind of goes like okay alex seems he's a little on the woo-woo side but he's a pretty good guy <laughs> all right seems fair enough um and then two the nature piece is such an important aspect because like you said it breaks the pattern of go, go, go Western yeah. society that most of us exist into and gets you into this place of just like being like there's a yeah. creek running, the sun is shining, there's kids playing, <laughs> running by and, with their swords and shields. And it's, it's true. It forces you to take that breath because it's touching on all the senses. You're in fresh air. Your, your view of the world is not four walls that you and I are sitting in right now. The sun's out. You're, you know, you're smelling flowers, fresh air, all of that. And it makes your body just sigh and slow down uh, maybe half a beat or a full beat, but it, it was so worth it and, and so needed. Absolutely. So take us into the ceremony itself. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I talking to people beforehand and, you know, they were like, are you going to see things? Are you gonna, I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a blank page. And, and I really think that that's the way you should go into it. Cause if you are dead focused on, I'm going to address X, hmm. you may be disappointed. Um, I, even on a, on a lesser extent, the microdosing, but in, in the big ceremony event, um, I would describe it as I was having an internal discussion with my subconscious in a semi semi-conscious state. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I laid down blanket on me. I was blindfolded. Um, and it seemed like I wasn't in this plane of existence. Mm -hmm. There was a whole different view of the universe that was happening to me and, and the way I processed it. And again, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but it was, there were events and things in my life and it wasn't, it was not all trauma. It was, I had moments where my kids were flying by. It was moments where the gas station was happening. It was moments that, you know, you were graduating college and all of it for me was flying by me. Uh, and I was trying to, like process all of it as it was flying by, but there wasn't that aha moment that I think some people expect hmm. that, you know, you, you don't come to a crossroads in a dusty old town in the middle of nowhere. And there's this sage person who takes the form of some spirit guide or animal. It does. It's not like that. I want to even uh, touch on, I want to just touch on that really quick. Cause it's, sure. it is such a big expectation people have. And in my experience, it's actually, quite dangerous when someone does have that aha moment because it means they arrive at trauma that they were so completely unaware of wow. that the entirety of the box i mean it'd be the equivalent of the gas station incident for you happens yeah. to them in a moment in the ceremony so it it just is worth saying that those deep aha moments of 
oh my God, I didn't realize I got beaten as a kid. Like those are not actually desirable. It's better to become aware of those over time. So, yeah. And, and that's where I think, you know, going back to team Kyle, uh, having an Alex Nelson, uh, Dr. White, uh, I, I have an ongoing dialogue with some personal trainers out of North Scottsdale, uh, you know, and they're just wonderful people. Um, talk to a nutritionist. It's all of that pre-work to get that out of your system, I think helped me because I would say I would probably, if, if I didn't have, let's hypothetically say the gas station never happened. Hmm. And I went in and said, Hey, Alex, I know Chad, and I want to do this because I've got some stuff that, you know, maybe I'll work through. I think I would have come to that crossroads and had a terrible event. Um, but having been forced all, all thanks to the gas station, which seems mm -hmm. somewhat terrible to say, but it worked out best for everybody. Um, that I was able to address and outwardly project that because I had no other option. I, I had to address those things. Uh, so it allowed me to then have a more blank slate or freedom to embrace whatever happened. So yeah, I would say if anyone's out there thinking about doing it, um, don't don't go in just thinking you're going to do it fun on a weekend. You know, put the work in. You know, we can always be better and, and work on ourselves. So. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's 100% true. But yeah, I going in there, I didn't have that crossroads events. I didn't meet my spirit animal spirit guide. Um, I would submit to you that you should be your own spirit guide. Um, and, you know, address things as you see fit. Hmm. You know, if if you feel like you're stuck on something, seek help. Um, I did to a certain extent, and I will admit that I am fatally flawed or almost fatally flawed in not addressing it when I needed it the most, or I went to the wrong people when I did. Hmm. Um, so yeah, um, but in the moment when I was doing the psilocybin, it was in the hours that I was blindfolded and, and laying down, there was so much to process, um, so much to go through. And I would say, I don't think that this is the end of that journey. I, I, I still see that as a tool in my, in my ever expanding toolbox of, of one self-discovery and self-care. Uh, I think that it, it will be beneficial for me going forward uh, as I start to process things in a, in a deeper, more profound way that it will be part of that toolbox that I will use going forward. Love that. Yeah, I think it's so important to have that cohesive, cohesive approach between the different things that you're doing all being pointed at your own healing. You know, I do get people who have those big aha moments back to those. And you know, you're able to do the work on the back end and get them through it. It's not like they just wake up and fall over dead because holy shit there's my trauma oh no it's too much <laughs> um, but it yeah. is certainly easier to do it I don't want to say it's easier to do it the way you did it because obviously there are difficult points but the way you did it from attempt on your own life to the ceremony it's much easier to do it that way than it is to just like stumble into it so tell me a little bit about 
since the ceremony, just what you felt, what you've noticed in yourself and kind of what has progressed or what has come up for you. Yeah. Um, so the best way I can describe it is I, I feel like I am moving physically at the same pace that I normally do, but I feel like I am able to take a half step or a, a, a breath uh, and better process and understand what's going on around me um, through not only a historical lens, but also a, a forward thinking viewfinder where before this, before the gas station, before all of it with previous trauma, it was how am I going to survive the next 15, 30 seconds mm. at times? And that isn't the case anymore. I feel myself being more forward thinking, um, but also being mindful of the experiences, whether it be through EMDR or psilocybin or talk therapy, being able to have more wide open field view of things that are happening currently to me or that I want to accomplish going forward. Um, that does include uh, some maintenance. Uh, that does include still seeing Dr. White. And that does include microdosing uh, periodically, not on a regimen that led up to the ceremony, but I, I microdosed on Saturday. Uh, and you know, just a couple of days ago, and it was, I, I would say my range of emotions was like this. And now post psilocybin, I still have good, bad moments, but it's now this, and I just used the microdose to reaffirm that this is an appropriate, comfortable space for me, because anything outside of that became fairly chaotic. And once you start going in between the two poles of that range of emotion, you don't find the middle that often. And I'm not saying that it was the middle as if I was taking an antidepressant, which becomes here's your middle and you're stuck in that lane. You still feel the ups, the downs, you have good days, bad days, but you can also just reaffirm through the microdosing that you're, you're, you're in that range and you're good. I like to describe it as if you have a really healthy psyche, you have a range from one to 10. Yeah. And ones are important. Like yeah. ones are like, Hey, this thing fucking sucked. I don't want to experience it anymore. I should do something different. Yeah. So like, but in the traumatized psyche, or especially like in people who have true diagnosed bipolar, they also have negative 10 and yeah. 20. Yep. And both negative 10 and 20 are extraordinarily unuseful because 20 is full yeah. manic and negative 20 is like time to die. <laughs> so. And then all of a sudden that range, uh, you know, if you do the general math and I'm, 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 I'm a math guy, a third of your time is in the normal acceptable range. Hmm. The other two thirds, you're off the grid. Right. And that is not functional for, for you as a, as a, a well-mannered, well-purposed individual. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, I think it's, you know, just back to something you were saying earlier, it's really something that I found use in just approaching 
psilocybin and all of these other things, you know, for me, breath work is huge. Ecstatic dance is huge. All of the other tools in my arsenal as these sort of check-ins and sort of viewing it that way, I think is really healthy because you wouldn't go to a single EMDR session and expect that like, all right, we did it. One yeah. EMDR, and maybe you would if you didn't know what it was, but <laughs> knowing but, uh, what it is. The, the breath work thing is, is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you bring it out during meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done some yin yoga stuff with uh, Paige, uh, a friend of mine out of Scottsdale. Uh, she's a huge proponent of that kind of stuff. Um, and I've been to a couple of her uh, events that she has done with some folks. Uh, breathwork is a huge centering tool that, uh, you know, I tried to use before all of this and, and I still use to this day. Mm-hmm. So your, your point is completely in, in, imperative to people out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we're getting towards the end here. So we'll tie a bow on a couple things. But one thing I would encourage people to do is to use your story, because one of the things I think is so instructive is just the the breadth of different things you are willing to try and apply to your healing process and being willing to do all of these different things. I often tell people, like sometimes someone will come to me with a certain set of issues and like, I want to sit in ceremony and I'll tell them, I need you to get a therapist before I will have you sit in ceremony with me. Because I know that there's going to be aftercare that you're going to need someone to continuously talk about it with. And I'm not a certified therapist. So while I can hold some pretty good space and I've got some tools in my toolkit, it would be better if you had a therapist. And so just that approaching it from all angles really allows you to become the best version of you that's available in in each given moment for you to push that ball forward in the right direction. Um, And, you know, not to be underrated, the support system, because there's those painful moments where you kind of start to wake up a little bit and you go, fuck, I thought these three people were like best friends. They're not friends at all. But then there's also these four people who I was just kind of good acquaintances with and man, they're showing up for me. So it's like, yeah, starting to build that ecosystem, I think is so, so important. If I can, if I can add to that, um, you know, the the people that weren't necessarily who I thought were great or going to be there for me, um, I, I don't I don't hold a grudge against them. You know, I don't know what they were going through. I I have a general idea. Uh, like the one person who uh, kind of encouraged me to not be on this earth, I I, I don't hold any grudge against that person. Um, I, I have a general idea of what their issues are and, you know, I wish them all the best in, in taking care of that. But getting back to the, the find a therapist, um, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I know there's a stigma of, of talking to people going, hey, I'm, I'm seeing a therapist, I'm seeing a psych. Um, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. It is another tool in your toolbox to address stuff that you may need to address. And you know, I, I will say this, uh, you know, we, we all like to gamble and, you know, hey, I'm going to bet you my fantasy football team is going to win the league this year. Mm-hmm. That's not gambling. That's just throwing some money at something and seeing what happens. But I would submit to you and, and all the people that are going to listen to this that the, the best gamble you can ever do is on yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of what I did after I made an attempt on my life 
was to say, I'm going to gamble on myself that I can be better. And I'm going to tackle it in any way possible. I will pursue any lane of traffic that I can find to try to go after that. And, you know, the rest of it, you know, whether it be personal, professional, social, what have you, will fall in place behind you. And it may look entirely different than what you're used to. But if you can take care of yourself and gamble on yourself and make yourself a better person, everything that's coming towards you is going to be so much better too. So make that bet on yourself and see what happens. Yeah, I love that. There's two other things I want to touch on and then we'll, we'll wrap here. I think it's super important that in your story, you had to have multiple therapists in a row. That's something I think is like under talked about is if the first therapist isn't the right one, now you had the blessing of they were all sort of wise enough to be like, hey, I'm not the one for you, but sometimes that yeah. doesn't happen. If the first therapist is not the right one for you, seek the next one. There are more yeah. different types of therapy, different therapists. So seeking that next person out um, and then just, you know, circling full, full tilt. One of the things obviously I share with you before ceremonies about surrender and surrender is not about surrendering to the medicine or surrendering to me, obviously, in the context of ceremony, it's about surrendering to the truth of what is. Yep. And that's an invitation for people that as you start to walk this path, the things that are waiting for you are amazing. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you have to surrender things that you were really attached to because you thought that was your person or you thought that job was you and you attached a lot of meaning to it. Yeah. And so just being ready that like on this path, you're going to have to surrender some shit. If you're ready to surrender it, because like, you know where you're going, it's going to be a lot easier versus if you resist every step of the way to go, no, I don't want to let that thing go. That's my favorite toy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, and the therapists, the psychs that I went to all great people, but they themselves and through our conversations realized that it just wasn't going to work. And you know, it, and to anybody out there that's either going to go to or thinking about therapy or in therapy, and you're not feeling like you're getting anything or as much out of it as you want, go get a second opinion. We do it all the time in healthcare. Why not do it for what's between your ears? Now, that's incredibly important. And that's not to say anything bad against the person you're currently seeing. Maybe you don't jive personality-wise. Maybe you guys have a ver differing view on something so trivial as, you know, uh, your favorite football team or politics. Go find somebody else. They're not all the same. Each person has a different personality and a different way of, of attacking things. So please, if you're not feeling comfortable, go do that. Um, and, you know, gosh, I, I, I think all in all, the, the more you do for yourself, the better off you're going to be. Um, you know, finding an available avenue of support system, a team. Um, I, I used to think that I could do it all by myself. I, I was that guy who was the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. And I don't think I would ever go back to that. Could I do it? Absolutely. Do I think that it's in my best interest because I self-identified as this like multi-million dollar company CEO? Mm -hmm. I did. I, that's how I self-identified and that's just not who I am. And I, I felt somewhat of a, a sham for that. And I don't think I would ever go back to it. So I'm, I'm finding my comfortable space that I can exist in. So yeah, I, life is a learning process and I'm looking forward to it. Mm. 
yeah, I love that. It's a, a beautiful note. Just that idea that and we all tell ourselves this, that we can do it alone, that we should do it alone, that it says something about us if we do it alone. And especially, yeah. I think, one thing I think is really cool about your story is just the illustration that, yes, sometimes you can do it alone, air yeah. quotes, you can achieve the external result, but still at a certain point, if you're doing it alone, you arrive at a place where you realize that you're alone. Yeah, that's not super desirable. And you may not like where you're at. Exactly. So I love that as a thought. Uh, any finding final, blah, 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 any final parting thoughts for people, things you want people to know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think if if you don't like where you're at right now, create change. Because we are, you know, whether you want to call it evolution or change management or whatever, life is about change. You're not going to be the same person you are today that you will be next year in five years, 10 years, 20 years. So be open to it. Embrace that life is going to change for you. I mean, I, I'm 48 years old and I've got uh, a grandson, for gosh sakes, who is spectacular. And I just want to give out a shout out to my grandson, Ryder. Uh, you aren't old enough. He's, he was born in May. He's not old enough to listen to this, but maybe someday. Well, if you're um, smart, it's going to be like, yeah, grandpa did what? Um, but yeah, I, you know, be open to change and, and just embrace it. Um, on a personal note, uh, Alex, I, I can't thank you enough for being part of Team Kyle in this process. I, I, I really appreciate getting to know you and working with you on uh, just, well, first off, the conversations we've had are just about this space has been wonderful, but I can't thank you enough for, for, for joining me on my change process. Um, and for anybody out there, I, I, I'm starting a website and, and a podcast. And Alex, I would love to have you as a guest. All right. Um, but uh, if you want to look me up on social media, uh, on Twitter, it's Contrarian Kyle. Uh, or on Instagram, it's this underscore Contrarian underscore life. And I'm coming out with a website soon. So look for that and the podcast soon as well. Yeah, awesome. I'll have the Twitter and the Instagram in the show notes for everyone if they want to check that out. And yeah, thank you, brother. I appreciate your heart. Yeah. I appreciate getting the chance to spend time with you. I appreciate just the way that you show up for yourself and as a result, show up for others around you. It's been super inspiring to see. And I've been very happy to be a part of this process. So thank you. you. Uh, yeah, everyone will talk to you soon. All right, so that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You know, I really found Kyle's story so illustrative of how someone can intentionally choose to engage with psychedelics to work with true clinical PTSD and to heal through that. Now, of course, as always, the caveat is I am not a medical professional and I do not recommend you doing anything illegal in your area, so please take that into consideration. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. I really, really loved recording it and working with Kyle. He's such a beautiful human. You can always find me on Instagram at Alexander Diesel, where I'm putting out a bunch of content, and on my website, www.throughtheveil.co. That's a great place to connect. You can book coaching packages and sign up to work with me if you are struggling and you're in a place in your life where you're looking to dig a little deeper. So much love, y'all. We will talk to you soon.